The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Psych Up Live with your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. If you're experiencing life, and we know you are, you may have a variety of questions about relationships, family issues, personal goals, coping with the unexpected, and much more. Today, you will hear some answers from a psychological perspective, and you may just take away something that fits. Here is Dr. Suzanne Phillips. Hello, I'm Suzanne Phillips. Thank you for joining me on Psych Up Live. Our guest today is Dr. John Duffy, a clinical psychologist who has spent a lifetime working with teens and their parents and who knows them so well, you're going to think he's been sitting in your living room. He's the author of the best-selling book, The Available Parent, Expert Advice for Raising Successful and Resilient teens and tweens. He's also the host of the highly regarded podcast, Undue Anxiety. Dr. Duffy is a frequent media presence. He happens to be the regular parenting and relationship expert on Steve Harvey and WGN Radio. Today, Dr. Harvey is going to answer the questions and concerns that we as parents are often too afraid to ask. Where did we go wrong? Why is her goal to torture us? He's going to make clear what mystifies us about teens and the power of being an available parent. He will be talking specifically about what never works and what does work. Dr. John Duffy, it is my pleasure to welcome you to Psych Up Live. I'm thrilled to be here, Suzanne. Uh, Dr. Phillips, thank you so much for having me. Okay, Suzanne is fine. Um, We'll go with Suzanne. (laughs) Okay. Um, John, let's start by letting our listeners know what is an available parent? It's a great question. Um, When I first published my book a few years ago, I fought for this word available because it really meant something to me. An available parent is a parent who is open-minded and present, really physically and emotionally present for their child so that they act as an ally and a guide and a consultant to their children as opposed to um, an unwitting, unaware, lecturing enemy. And parents end up in the enemy camp, especially with their teenagers, very easily. So the, 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 the allegory I use frequently is you're not driving the bus for your child. You're kind of riding next to them in case they need you Mm. and you're letting the process be theirs. It's not a process that's driven by you. Um, So it's a little different than 
I would argue, the way a lot of us were parented, but it's what works with kids these days. I'm confident of that. It's, it's based on about 20 years of research in the office I'm sitting in now. And to read your book is to know you really know. But let me play devil's advocate for a moment. So I'm sitting next to one of my sons, and he's riding the bus, and we're headed right into a wall. Or we are headed to a place that he won't tell me the location of, so that no matter how much I ask him, how's it going, where are we going, no answer, especially if it's a boy, or yeah. if it's a girl, it could be tremendous drama as to why I have to know everything about her business. So help us know what do we do when we get frightened? Because I think that gets in the way of being an authentic parent. I would agree. And, and I think is- that's the primary thing that gets in the way of being a present, authentic, available parent is when we get frightened. And it's a scary world, and these are scary times. So, so I don't blame any parent for having that anxiety. Um, and you, you bring up great examples of how things go <laughs> um, with my right. son. He's not talking to me. We're going to hit the wall. <laughs> you know, right, my daughter, right. he's talking, but I'm not sure I know where we're going. And, and um, what I usually ask parents to do is to take a step back and trust in the process. So oftentimes we allow ourselves to get stuck in this moment and, it, and if we get overly stuck in a moment, it feels like a crisis. And if we think about the course of life <laughs> broadly, there are mm. very few actual crises we run into. There are situations. There are problems. There are D's on exams. There are uh, parties our kids shouldn't be going to. There are fights in the schoolyard. There are things going on that shouldn't be happening. But I think when we get overly fearful we get into a state of crisis and we start making poor parenting decisions because we, we can't think very well when we're in a state of crisis. If we can trust that, you know, over the course of time, things work out so I can take a deep breath and I can be present because even though this feels awful, like something really terrible is going on, or in the case of the sun situation you described, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> right. In all likelihood, it isn't terminal, and you can breathe through it and still just be available, and things will work out. Because by and large, if we think back to our own childhoods, we had problems. There were days that felt like the end of the world, and none of them were. Um, it's a rare, rare thing. So if you can trust the process of parenting, instead of judging your parenting on this moment in this day, then I think it's easier to become available. If you can't do that, I think it's really, really difficult. What I love about what you're saying is that teens, for teens, uh, and even younger ones, those moments are like the end of the world. And if we get seduced into that crisis mentality, there's no one going anywhere good. Um, you know, we go to fight or flight. So it makes sense then when we get hysterical and we buy into the crisis, mom might start arguing and dad flight. He's gone. He's done. So that in some ways, you know, I really think that's a, a wonderful way to think about it, to remain the anchor and keep reminding yourself that 
this is one moment in time in a journey right. you don't you don't want to miss. Now, maybe you can help us. You you do this so well, and I'm going to use some quotes from your book. Help us demystify teens. We all think we know it and we've read it, but actually it gets tricky. I love this this quote. One of your 15-year-old boys, you say, he says, don't assume I don't care what you think just because I say I don't care what you think. <laughs> now, right. how do we make sense of this? What does a parent think about that? <laughs> well, you know, um, when when you're coming into a therapist's office with your teenager, um, it's not because things are going fine <laughs> ever. That's you right. Know, um, I was laughing with a teenager about this yesterday. You know, I asked, so how are you? And she said, you know, very in, in a very funny way, she said, well, not so great. I'm sitting in a therapist's office. So obviously <laughs> some things are going on. Um, right. And, uh, and so, you know, things are not always going to be great, but, um, Parents sometimes think when there's conflict between them and their kids, or if their children says, you know, just please, you know, shut up, you're, you're, you're bothering me, um, you're not helping the situation, um, parents will tell me, they don't want to know what I think, they're not listening to me anyway. And the point I'm trying to make by including that brilliant little quote is, your, your teenagers and tween-age kids might tell you they have no interest in what you have to say, um, Normally, I say believe your kids. In this instance, I say do not believe that. There, you are still the primary role model and influence in that child's life, and they need to hear what you have to say. Not necessarily through a long-winded lecture. Kids today do not hang in for that. But in, in, um, in brief, to hear how you feel about a given situation, that will help guide them, and they will it doesn't mean they're going to do exactly what you want them to do, but they will consider what you have to say. If you never say the words, then they'll never even know for sure what you have to say. So if you have a strong feeling about something, if you, um, about drinking or drugs or sex or academics, um, anything that's part of their lives, the way they use their screens, say so. Say, say, talk about the way you feel. Do not... Do not assume that your kid's not going to listen to you. Even if they seem like they're tuning you out, they're listening. At least part of the time, say the words. You know, I couldn't agree more. And I will tell you, and we've had other guests talking about um, how do you deal when your youngster says that he or she is gay, um, uh, young mm. youngsters who are runaways. I spent time in detention centers working with runaways. They always keep the corner of their eye on that parent. And no matter what has happened, what that parent thinks of them is so big and so important that that parent loves them is something they so often, it's mystifying and they don't let you believe it. But I've never myself worked with a youngster for whom the parent didn't matter, John. No, you're so right, Suzanne. And, and, um, to say, uh, to, just to piggyback on that, because I think what you said just there is so important, to tell your child every day that you love them, that you value them, on the worst day, you know, when, when, when they have, they have um, created the biggest infraction of their lives, <laughs> you know, they've cheated mm-hmm. egregiously on a test, or they've done something you wholly disapprove of, 
to let them know, you know, um, you're in big trouble. You're, there will be consequences to what you've done here, but I love you. You know, like mm-hmm. every day, um, kids need to hear that frequently from their parents. It's a big, confusing world, and there are kids who are um, deeply insecure because they're not certain of that fact. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they need, I, they need to hear it. It's really important. So thank you for that. I, and and here's one of your other quotes from Amy, who's 15, who this one took my breath away, and I've even said it to some other parents. This one is, love me like you would if I had turned out the way you pictured, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. so confirming of your point about when you're ready to tear your hair out, make sure they know you still love them. And I even say to people, Um, Even with couples, I say the fact that when you say something, be it information or whatever, the other doesn't say, hey, what a great idea, does not mean they didn't hear you. It's on record. And teens are very rarely going to say to us, that's a great idea. No, that's not (laughs) happening. So um, I think saying what we need to say and not taking the bait or buying into maybe the put-down of us or the ignoring of us can make a difference. Now, you suggest open-ended questions as a mm-hmm. way for parents and teens to connect. Can you say a little bit more about that? Yeah. Um, you know, parents are often, if I'm, if I'm giving a talk or I'm, I'm talking to parents and consulting with them here in the office, um, will say, you know, my, my teenager just won't talk to me. And often that's a result of giving them the option, in a way, not to talk to you. And, and, and the closed-ended question, you know, how was school today? Fine. You know, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. how, did you have fun with your friends? Yeah. You know, um, instead of giving them a wide berth um, and talking about um, kind of how things are for you. So sometimes if I work with a parent and a child in conflict, I'll encourage the parent to say, you know, like, boy, when we fight like this, and when you're out late and I don't know what's going on, this is, this is how I feel. This is what it's like for me. You know, mm. I find it really frustrating. I get scared because I worry that you're okay. What's it like for you? You know, just to kind of like draw them into an honest, open conversation. And not with an agenda, not with a, you know, like, tell me what it's like for you because I'm looking for that little hook to, to ground you or to take your phone away or the car keys <laughs> But really, like, out of curiosity, you know, like, what, what, is, what is your life like for you? What is your grade like? You know, um, you know, I know a lot of kids your age are starting to drink and to party and, and to do these other things, you know. Is, is that going on in your class, you know? And, and just kind of get to know them like you would get to know anybody else um, and take that veil of suspicion away at least part of the time so that you can just connect because... Mm-hmm. Your kid needs some of that time, and it will make you feel better as a parent. You will feel like you can breathe because once you get to know that your child is still your child, it's still that kid that you have known their whole lives, you'll recognize, okay, you know, my parenting wasn't for naught. They haven't forgotten every word, and um, I'm blown away when I have open-ended discussions with kids with mm-hmm. the wisdom that they possess, with um, the, how thoughtful they are about themselves and each other and the world. And, you know, and I, and I often 
lament the possibility that the kid I'm sitting across from who's open and, and, um, and caring and thoughtful is somebody that their mom or dad has never even met. You know, like mm, yes, the, the, the yes. mom and dad knows this sullen, quiet, angry teenager, and I get to know this vibrant, loving, caring, thoughtful, funny um, person, you know, and, and it just feels like this enormous familial ripoff that is wholly unnecessary. Mm, I, I couldn't agree more. And when you said it just now, the way you said it, like, so what are the kids thinking about the new principal or... How, how much smoking is going on in school in a way that doesn't interrogate them? They may not answer them, but later when you're in the car, a voice will come from somewhere and say something. I think that's the other thing. A, to give them time to trust that they're not being interrogated. And you have the luxury, and I do, to be to not be the parent. And I think It's interesting. So many parents say to me, my kids' friends love me. My own kid won't talk to me. But Mm -hmm. I don't think we realize how calm we are with our children's friends. There's not that expectation. There's not that, how did the Spanish test go? With the friend, we're going, so how's mom? Oh, I love that dress. We're very different, actually, with our children's friends. And I don't think we know that it sounds different. Boy, that is that is brilliant, um, and what a great cue for parents, right? Like to, if you could bring that same energy uh, and curiosity that is open and non-judgmental to your child as you bring to their friends, uh, mm-hmm. because I hear that all the time from parents too, Suzanne. That is that is mm-hmm. so true, and um, and and kids think their friends are crazy, but the truth is <laughs> right. that, that parents are. It is easier to talk to somebody else's parents than it is to yours, and part of it is that there's. Uh, it, it, you, you feel and kids suspect there's this agenda. Um, the other, and so what I'll add to that is parents will sometimes come to me. So I'll, I'll offer this thought to them that we're, that we're talking about right now and to approach your child in this different way. And they'll come to me days or a week later and say, I tried it. It didn't work. And um, to your point a moment ago, it probably won't work right away. It'll probably take your children a while to recognize, oh, you really do just want to talk to me. You don't have an agenda here. You really just want to understand and know my world, um, and there, and that's all there is to it. And 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 then we're connecting in a different way. But kids aren't going to get that right away. There's you know mm-hmm. a little learning curve affiliated on their end with with really truly understanding that. So so to parents who are listening to us, don't expect that you're going to see that change immediately. But trust that the process will bring you there. Right, right. The other thing that, um, uh, just we have just a few minutes before we take a break. Um, When you you call them the good enough teenager, what do you mean by that? It's an interesting and nice Um, term. Yeah, uh, I I love this phrase because um, I think a lot of people, teenagers and otherwise, uh, go through life feeling like they're not good enough. A lot of parents gauge their good enough on whether their teenager appears to be good enough. And, mm. and what I find in parenting is the bar tends to just move around so that you can always find an area where your kid just isn't good enough. And 
if, you know, if their GPA is a little lower than you'd like, or if they're hanging around with people that you're not crazy about, or, you know, if they're not on the team that you were on in high school, and so you're disappointed in that. If you deem that your kids aren't good enough, do not think for a moment that your kids aren't going to be aware that you feel that way. So um, you don't have to, I think sometimes we put our kids on too high a pedestal, and I don't think that does them any favors, but just as often, I think we give them the impression that they're not good enough, and it's difficult enough to be a teenager in the world today with social media and all sorts of the other pressures that they are under um, to think my mom or my dad doesn't believe I'm good enough. You know, that that is... Um, almost an insurmountable burden to carry around, and kids are well aware of it, or even the hint of it. So I, I always encourage, caution parents, not just encourage, but caution them to be really, really clear that their kids are good enough. Mm, good enough, it's a, not perfect. It's, There's always room to, to improve, but good enough is critical. Right. It's such a great concept for even mm-hmm. all of us to recognize about ourselves, John, and to pass yep. forward. It's a really great one. So we're going to end this segment with another one of the wonderful quotes from John's book pertinent to this. And this is from a young man who says, I respect my father. I love him and I don't want to hurt him, but he doesn't believe in me. And I know it just exactly what you said, John. They always mm-hmm. know it. Yes, they always know it. Kids are very, very keenly aware, and they're, and they're watching for cues from mom and dad all the time. So we're going to take a brief break now. When we come back, we're going to be talking about something you're going to want to hear, what never works, what we all use, but what never works. You've been listening to Psych Up Live, and we're speaking with Dr. John Duffy. He's the author of the best-selling book, The Available Parent. He's also the host of the highly regarded podcast, Undo Anxiety. Stay with us. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts, we'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Where can you learn about EasyWayPromotions.com social media marketing, brand positioning, and more? Easy Talk Live. Where can you get tuned into celebrities in the business world? Easy Talk Live. Where can you learn about entrepreneurment? Easy Talk Live. Every week, host Eric EZ Zuli and his celebrity friends talk about global causes, offer tips and tricks that you can use right now on social media, and give you the chance to promote your projects on Easy Talk Live. Every Saturday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Where are you getting your advice on buying, selling, or maintaining your most important asset, your home? Is it from a reality show on cable TV, a comparison website, or are you just flying by the seat of your pants and gut instinct? Stop now before you make another move. Tune into Real Real Estate Today with host and realtor Deb Tomorrow. You can't afford to play guesswork when it comes to your new or existing home. Listen every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Hi, folks. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We're talking about parenting teens and Queens and everyone in between, and we're here with Dr. John Duffy, who's our expert. We're going to speak about what never works with this age group and what actually could work. John, maybe you could lead us into that. Sure, sure. Um, you know, when, when I was when I was writing this book, I, I wasn't sure how to organize it and how to get all the thoughts in here um, I wanted to, and what I found I was coming up with was one example after another after another of things that never work <laughs> in parenting <laughs> teens and tweens. And the list is, is lengthy, um, and I think it would have been a different list a generation ago. Um, but there, there are a number of parenting styles and techniques that we think um, are going to work if we just push a little harder or do this one more time. And... Um, and then we get frustrated and we think, you know, like, well, I wasted my time on that seminar, that lecture, that book, um, listening to this guy <laughs> because, um, because, you know, their, their advice didn't work. And the main thing I run into that, that never works with kids today, that might have worked a generation ago, might have worked when we were growing up, but doesn't work now, is lecturing. So I, I work with so many parents who will, in session, lecture at their kids, um, and I use the word at deliberately. So instead of, mm-hmm. instead of engaging them in a discussion, which kids are very willing to do, um, lecturing at them, kids are expert at tuning out a parent and yes. making it seem as if they're paying attention. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think we can lead by example. I think we can have a discussion um, that, is, that runs both ways. But the one-sided lecture that might have worked because we were maybe a little more afraid of our parents a generation ago, that is never going to work now. <laughs> um, so that, what, that's one, probably the main one. One thing you say in the book, and uh, the book is terrific, and you remind us that these children have lived with us our whole lives. They know our routine. They know our lecture. And I love the fact that you, you said at times you asked the youngster to give the parent lecture. <laughs> yes. And yes. They um, always know my, it. My favorite example of that, um, I had a boy, I think he was about 16, in my office with his dad, and his dad was in the midst of a lecture, and I said, Dad, stop. And I asked the son to take over the lecture, and he, he did it in his dad's voice. <laughs> it was 
actually this kind of a very kind of very funny dramatic moment. And to, to this dad's credit, he laughed too because the kid was spot on. He knew exactly where his dad was going. And I asked him, well, how did you know, how did you know where we were headed here? And he said, I've heard this 50 times. I know my dad, you know, I know, I know exactly where he wants to go with this. So you're, the reason you can spare yourself the lecture is your kids already know it. And if you really want to challenge that and, and, and that assertion, ask them, you know, right. bring up a topic and, and uh, ask what you think they think um, you're thinking of it and, um, and they're going to get it right. They're going to know how you feel about it. So if In I'm a parent, I might say, if I'm a parent, I might say to you, um, well, if he knows it, why won't he do it? If yeah. he knows he uh, wants to go to a great college and he knows he has to have a certain grade, I don't get it. I don't understand why he's not studying. Right, right. So that brings up, you know, kind of um, the idea that we were talking about a moment ago, of, mm-hmm. you know, talking to your children about these difficult points in their lives. Like, boy, you know, like, um, I get so frustrated with you when you don't study. And I know you're smart enough and I know you can get this work done. Um, what, what's going on in your mind when, you know, you're just playing with um, your Xbox and you should be studying, you know, and then you get a discussion going as opposed to, you know, I've told you time and time again that you can't be playing video games. You need to be doing homework, um, you know, because you're never going to get into a good college. And then it becomes just that kind of like blah, 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 blah. And you just seem like the drone pain in the neck parent that isn't going to be helpful. Um, but if it's, a, if it's an open discussion, you may get somewhere, you know, and yes. oftentimes when I ask kids, you know, um, if I just jump right in and say, you know, why don't you do your work? You're really bright. Um, the answer I get more often than not, and it's typically an honest one is, I don't know. I, I, I really don't know what's, dri- <laughs> what's driving me or what's stopping me. I just know I'm not doing it. So they need, they need some help and some guidance. Lecturing is not the way to get them that. I think Listening that's so them, true. Drawing it out of I- I think what you just said, excuse me, is so true. They often do not know why they can't right. start the assignment, go to the uh, play, the, you know, the um, tryout that they said they were going to go to. I truly think they are at times so confused they don't know. You know, it, it's, it's true um, because kids do, do some perplexing things these days. I've had a number of young people I've worked with who will do their homework and then not turn it in. Yes. Which mm-hmm. you, and you probably run into this yes. too, right? And this is mm-hmm. only in the last few years have I run into this, but you know, that behavior, even to me, I've found myself lecturing, <laughs> you know, those <laughs> yeah. kids like, wait a minute, you've done it. Just hand the thing in, just give it to the teacher. But oftentimes there's an element of perfectionism um, that prevents them from doing that. Um, you know, there, there's a whole host of potential reasons, but the only way to really get down to it um, is to get that child talking because kids, kids are smart and they're intuitive and they're pretty good therapists for themselves if you can step back and allow them to, just to allow them the space to talk it through, then they'll, they'll find their answers, you know? I'm afraid I'm mm-hmm. going to turn it in and it's not going to be good enough for you or, you know, um, I'm going to get in trouble or, you know, whatever it is. But if you tell them what it is, they're never going to investigate it on their own. And that insight 
And the ability and the capacity for that insight is invaluable. It's more valuable than turning the homework assignment in. Right, That's an important thing for us to remember. Mm, Very important. Now, another thing that people do that I know you talk about is they feel compelled to check their children's computers, phones, because after Mm -hmm. all, something terrible could be going on. What what do you think about that? Yeah. I um, th- I, th- there's two thoughts I have. When your when your child first gets a phone, um, and typically we get our kids smartphones, and and it's, it's happening at younger and younger ages, as you know, mm. all the time. And I think it's important for from a safety point of view to have the password and to check that phone um, fairly frequently to make sure that they're being smart and they're being safe. Um, and this is how. Um, you can kind of teach your kids how to be smart and safe on, on their cell phone, and, um, and then you can afford them um, some freedom and the opportunity to say, hey, I think you're doing a really good job. You've earned a little more freedom here. Um, it's important that parents let their kids know that they're checking. Um, and then at some point, once they've earned your trust, I think it's important to give them a wider berth and to mm. check less and less and less, and at some point, give them some privacy, provided that they have not violated their own safety in any way. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that this is very tough for parents to do. <laughs> um, yeah. and, and I think we both run into that. And, and I get why. You know, um, I've got a son who's 21, but when he was 15, I remember worrying, you know, boy, is he going to put something on uh, Snapchat or Instagram or Facebook that is going to have some negative bearing on his future. So we get anxious about this stuff. Um, but this is the culture our kids grew up in, and they, they know it well. I think it's important to talk to them about the dangers. If you run into a story, I share stories all the time with kids about, you know, like here's something that went wrong one time, and this, this kid ended up getting suspended from school, ended up being a laughing stock or really, really embarrassing himself or herself. And those stories carry a lot of weight. But the, the snooping is counterproductive for parents. If it's just about snooping and I want to know, I want to, they're not telling me about their world, so I'm going to find out. I'm going to launch kind of a private eye style investigation into, and I will get to know them whether they want me to or not. Um, mm-hmm. This always backfires on parents. And the issue often becomes not that you can't trust your kids, but your kids will feel that they can't trust you. And, right. um, and that will become a big issue for them. And, and they'll mean it. You know, they'll say, um, you know, boy, I gave you my password and I didn't think you were going to violate my, my trust, but you have. And you've now, you know, looked at things that I didn't intend for anybody to see. And that's not, that's not right. And it's, um, it's kind of akin to a generation ago you know, your, your mom or your dad looking under your bed, finding your diary and reading right through it instead of asking your permission first. Um, right. It feels like that kind of violation to kids. I think, and it drives a wedge. Yeah, I think the, I, lo- I love the story piece. And I think that that is a very good alternative because I think you, you make a difference when you say, I would never go through your phone or your, um, you know, your emails on your computer, Mm -hmm. but I want you to hear a story I heard today that 
caught my attention about someone actually being convicted. They were sexting. They were under 15. In that particular state, it was illegal. It was considered child porn. And my heart went out to those kids. But I thought, oh, my goodness, how many kids, and you're talking to your kid at this time, don't know things mm-hmm. like this. So right. that when you and when you do give a story, as you said, John, there's so much more attention and less defensiveness because we're talking about a third party. They're not being yeah. implicated. So the idea of informing them the way you would a friend or your spouse or a colleague is I think very valuable because it, it it's more respectful, but it nonetheless really gets the point across at times. I think both, right? I, I agree with you on both counts. I think it's more respectful, and it, 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 the stories, and, and the sto- you, I can tell you you've got, you've got some of the same stories that I do um, because I have a story in my head that's very similar to the one you just told. The stories are potent. They're probably going to have a far greater impact than, um, than a sanitized lecture, you know, um, to say this really happens. And listen to this story, you know, and listen to how this family got into such trouble, legal trouble, um, personal trouble, reputation difficulties. Uh, you know, those, that, those are potent. Those are hard for a kid to ignore. Um, mm. And they just carry so much valence. And, um, and, and they're the only thing I've seen change online behavior that was risky is a story that was real and potent. Yes. Yeah. yeah now, yeah. One, one of the things Lectures that one of the things that I really liked in the book is you talking about consequences. Of course, make sense, but punishment, silent treatment, really are far more destructive than they're ever constructive. Maybe you can speak a little bit about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel very strongly about this. Um, you know, oftentimes um, parents will come in and report um, an infraction of some kind. You know, um, they were out past curfew. There has to be a punishment for this. Um, And just raw punishment um, drives, can, and often does, drive an enormous wedge between parent and child that is, is not worth it in any way because it damages the relationship. To have a set of house rules, some consequences that are kind of like not riddles. They're up on the refrigerator and they're known to everybody in the household. So there no, there are no surprises that, you know, curfew is 11 o'clock and you can't use your phone after 10 and, uh, you know, a, a few other basic house rules about respect maybe. Um, and to say, okay, well, there's a consequence. You violated, violated the rule. We know what the rule is. You know what the consequence is. We're not even going to talk about it because we don't have to because it's already set in stone. We, we have an agreement. Um, and that opens the door to most of your communication with your child being positive. When we get to the, to the punishing um, method of parenting, we find that an awful lot of our communication with our kids is negative. Here's what you're doing wrong. Here's what the punishment is going to be. And if you, if you don't stick to that or if you violate it again, then we're going to have more negative discourse and negative discourse and um, eventually kids just check out of that. They, they mm-hmm. just stop paying attention. They stop listening. Um, and certainly they don't learn any valuable lessons. Effectively what we do is we train them to work around us. So we're almost training them to lie 
to us because they know that they're going to get punished if they tell the truth or, you know, um, right. so you want to create, you want to create a circumstance where the vast majority of your communication with your child is positive, even when things aren't going very well. The right. vast majority needs to be positive um, because the only power that you have with your child, the only sway you have over what they do is in the strength of that relationship and that connection that you have with them. And if, if you let that dissipate, um, you lose an awful lot of power. So your, even your punishments don't hold a lot of sway. And kids know their way around an awful lot of punishments. And so I prefer positive discourse and discussion over raw punishment uh, any given day, no matter what I, the infraction. I couldn't agree more because I think a consequence is one thing, but it even allows me as the teen to know she still loves me. I'm still a great basketball player, and we love to laugh at Seinfeld. But if there's too much mm. punishment, there's such a sense of shame that we know teens are insecure as it is. Once I've decided I'm the bad one in the family, he or she finds me too um, obnoxious or too negative to be to love me. Then we unwittingly perpetuate the kind of acting out that shame reinforces, like nothing left to lose. Who the hell cares? Right. So um, I think this is one of the yours is one of the few books that really goes into that. And I, I really uh, invite people to read your book for this section in particular because I really think one of your gifts is letting people know there's another way besides cutting off the relationship with punishment. We're going to have to take a break, and we are going to come back and talk about what does work. You've been listening to Psych Up Live. We're speaking with Dr. John Duffy. He's an expert with teens and their parents. His book is The Available Parent. We'll be right back to talk about what does work. Stay with us. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you want to stay on the cutting edge of the bioeconomy, tune into TerraTech with host Jim Lane. Every day, new and substantial products are in our lives. What we wear, eat, and drink in our travels and in our health. TerraTech will spotlight these products and show you where and how they are being used. Listen for TerraTech, live every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Join the innovators and the innovations and move forward. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You count. 
Tune into Inner Revolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out. Follow the movement. Meet guests who are shaking things up. Call in and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co-hosted by Beth Green and James Maynard, Inner Revolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Hi, folks. Welcome back. Um, We're speaking with Dr. John Duffy, and now we're going to talk about what does work with teens. Uh, We talked about things that never work. Um, John, two things that strike me that I, I liked a lot when I read your book. One of them is your concept of shifting toward the teen and the other was deposits in the emotional bank account. I thought maybe you can share those with us a bit. Sure. Um, in terms of shifting towards your teen, um, one thing um, we, we often fail to do when our kids kind of crest into the teen years um, that we actually do very well when our kids are younger. If you picture the way you would look at your child when he or she was two, three, four, five, and you would marvel at all the firsts, at how amazing they are, at their smile, at their eyes, And oftentimes, there is something just short of loathing (laughs) between parents and teenagers, you know, where, um, and there are enough kind of mini crises in those teen years that parents don't allow themselves that moment to just turn toward their teen and be in awe of them the way they are of maybe friends, colleagues, and certainly the way they were of that child 10 years earlier. And so this is no small thing because it kind of relates to the the emotional bank account a little bit. It kind of reminds you, oh, this is that person I love so much. This is that, this is that same kid I pushed on that swing, you know, and, um, and you can kind of reinvigorate your parenting by reminding yourself what you love about this child and, and, and the joy of parenting this child and just bringing your energy back to that place is something we parents of teenagers don't allow ourselves to do very often, but it is, it changes the whole vibe between parent and child when you allow yourself that moment to be struck by them, to be in awe of them. It's a Mm. big deal. One thing that fits into that that you also mentioned, I love this phrase, catch them being good. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's no small thing. Oftentimes, um, more often than not, you know, we're, we're looking at gotcha moments. We're looking at, you know, like, aha, you're listening to uh, music while you're doing homework or you're looking at your phone while you're in your bed um, or you're 15 minutes late and I told you to be home at 10.15. Instead of, you know, 
hey, I really like the way you were with your sister just then. She really needed that. Or, mm-hmm. you know, I really appreciate you that you emptied the dishwasher. You know, catch them doing the good things. And you're going to attract more of that. I think, I think this is an area where the law of attraction actually holds really, really true. You know, it feels good to have somebody tell you that they're proud of you, that they noticed that you did this, this thing right. Um, and it stings um, and draws you apart when all you do is point out what they're doing wrong. So if you can shift your energy to catching them doing the right thing, you may find that the wrong thing happens far less than it did in the past. I think that it's terrific. And one thing that I think can help is, you know, as parents, we think we know everything, of course. And the Mm -hmm. kids, of course, have to discount that because it's actually true. We don't know everything. But when (laughs) you see that they love something, like a video game or one of my sons was a skateboarder for a while, Mm -hmm. and you dare to say, you are so ridiculously good at this. Show me one little piece that I could do without breaking my neck. Or just teach me who kills who in this video game or how. In other words, if you let them be your expert, sometimes you, right, you just open a little leverage. Oh, it's so, it's such a, first of all, kids love to be experts. and, um, And we discount too readily the things our kids are interested in. I, I think sometimes the parents I work with feel as if their kids are interested in something just to challenge their parenting. I um, not long ago worked with a dad whose son decided he wanted to be, and this was a short-term thing, but he wanted to be a rapper. Um, mm-hmm. And this, mm-hmm. this dad is a very conservative guy. And, mm-hmm. you know, he, you know, effectively was like, no, I don't want you to do that. That's ridiculous. You're going to go to college. You're going to major in finance. <laughs> and I sat, the dad and I sat down and I said, you know what, let him rap for you. Let him, let him just let, you know, and, and maybe you'll see something that's like just a, a light there that um, might build, maybe he's a, a creative soul. Maybe he's a really good rapper, um, you know, but mm. if he wants to show you something, you know, this doesn't happen very often for teenagers where they're like, dad, I want you to hear this music that I made, you know, so. Mm-hmm. The last thing you should do is say, no, I don't want to do that because I don't approve of that because you might find that there's something remarkable in there. And in the case I'm telling you about, the dad was blown away that his child really? had his talent. That's um, a but he great story. It. He almost missed it. And, 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 and the, the idea of him missing it is the part that really just turns my stomach, you know, um, yes. because that, that, there's a connection where there could have been a divide. And easily could have been a divide. I think it happens all the time. And if you believe in, from a positive psychology point of view, we think that kind of moment of the father being (laughs) so amazed, that like broadens and builds. There's a chance that that kid knows he's good and someone thinks he's good. So what a wonderful story. That's a great story. Yeah, yeah, and, I, he was just, and then that boy needed that win. He needed that moment where mm. he felt good about himself and he was good at something. And he, you know, and then to have to share that with his father uh, when he's struggling in school and, and sports weren't working out for him and the social life wasn't working out, to have this moment and this win meant everything to him. His, you know, his whole sense of self shifted a little bit in that moment. And, um, mm. and, and their connection grew enormously where it really could have divided because it was beginning to, the, the rift was already 
beginning to happen. And Mm -hmm. then dad in this moment kind of repaired, not perfectly, but certainly repaired a great deal of it. So that was, that was a big deal. And, and, Mm. um, and allow yourself a lot of those moments. Um, and you'd asked about the emotional bank account, which I suppose Mm. dovetails nicely here. Um, I, I look at parenting teenagers always through the lens of the emotional bank account. And, um, I tell parents, you can do, you, you can read my book and every other parenting book on the shelves. You can go to every single parenting lecture. You can listen to uh, every single um, podcast that Dr. Phillips has online <laughs> and, <laughs> and still find that, that the parenting thing just isn't working, that you feel like a failure in a way. Um, and if you feel like you're, you're doing everything but it's not working, in all likelihood, the problem is in the emotional bank account. In other words, you have not got enough positive connection that you're in the black with your kid. So you've got, you know, far more uh, negative interactions than positive interactions. And if you're in the red, your child is not going to heed your words. Um, That's almost a rule that I can say is hard and fast. If you're in the black, then you've got room. You, You can even screw something up in your parenting and that will be forgiven pretty easily because you've got this connection and parenting runs smoothly when you have fostered and grown the connection that you have with your child. And that means like you were saying, sitting down and playing the video game with them, listening to the rap music while watching Seinfeld with them for a while, spending some of that positive time, Every single one of those moments is a deposit in the emotional bank account, and those deposits should make up the bulk of your time with your kid so that you're not spending the bulk of it lecturing and taking, taking that juice out of that bank account, if that makes sense. Mm, it's precious, and, and I love that one story of the mother and the concert, and I, I've heard a number of mothers or fathers somehow be in the background. No one knows they're there, but those kids wanted to go to some concert, and instead of it being, yes, you're going, or no, you're going, the negotiation was, you know, you're going, but I'm going to be in the back somewhere. <laughs> and, the, you know, it's, it is, as you say, it is resetting and holding on to a bond, which makes dealing with anything else really much easier. I don't want yes. us to run out of time, John, before I um, ask you to tell our listeners how can they find you online, your podcast, Dr. John Duffy, and how can they find the available parent, this wonderful book? Sure. Um, okay. So my website, um, which you can, you can find just about anything about me there is, uh, drjohnduffy.com. Uh, my podcast is called undo anxiety and, uh, that's available on iTunes, um, and on WGN plus. And, um, and my book is called the available Parent. And that is available on Amazon and on my website as well. Okay. Um, so if you were going to give our listeners, um, those who are ready to buy the book and those who are hesitant, um, a take-home message, Dr. Duffy, what would it be? Mm-hmm. Um, allow yourself to experience the joy and the awe of parenting your teenagers. So be open and present as an ally and a guide and a consultant, keeping in mind that your goal is competence and resilience. And that's what you're looking to foster. But this is a time that you should enjoy. This is a connection that you should build and foster. And, um, and I encourage parents to marvel at their children 
at the people their children are becoming instead of trying to build the people you're picturing. Wonderful. I, I just have to thank you. This was such a wonderful show, and I want to thank you for all your work with all those teens and all those parents and the gift you're giving all our listeners by this discussion as well as your book. Thanks so much, John. Oh, Suzanne, thank you, and I thank you for your work as well. Okay, I want to thank my listeners. Remember, you can hear this and any prior show as a podcast on my host site, my website, on the podcast app of your iPhone, on the iTunes um, app under Voice America Psych Up Live. Drop me a comment or a question at radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Until next week, though, please take care, thanks, and be listening. Thank you for tuning in to Psych Up Live. Please join Dr. Suzanne Phillips for another edition of our programming next Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk more next week. 